Welcome to the Pro Project Podcast with Pro Project Bookkeeping. This is your host, Darrell Brown, bringing you bookkeeping tips and tricks to make your project finances run a little smooth. Welcome back to the Pro Project Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to switch it up a bit from talking about accounting and business finances to personal finances. There's been a lot of talk lately about savings, budgeting, and investing, and I have the perfect guest to discuss this. The best-selling author of Mindful Money Management, Memoirs of a Hedge Fund Manager, and his recent book, The Nine Money Rules Millionaires Use, Only the Unconventional Ones. He is a former manager of his own hedge fund, Salomor Capital. We have Joel Salomon a prosperity coach who helps others overcome obstacles standing in the way of their financial freedom. I'm going to let him introduce himself, but first I want to read a quote posted on salamore.com. Joel was laid off from City in 2012, which gave him the kick in the butt to live his dream and start his own hedge fund. Joel, please introduce yourself and tell us how getting laid off gave you a kick in the butt. First of all, thanks so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. I, I like to start by talking about the name of my firm, which is Salamore, S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R. And it's named after my daughters, Lauren and Morgan. And Lauren and Morgan teach me every day. They've taught me about unconditional love. And so I'm a very proud dad, and I, I like to talk about that first. So that, that, that is why the company name is somewhat unusual. So let me tell you a little bit about my background because I have a very unusual career history that got me to where I am today. So I started my career as an actuary. And some of you may know the difference between an actuary and an accountant, but an actuary looks at his feet when he talks to you, an accountant looks at your feet when they talk to you. They say an accountant is an actuary with charisma. And I'm not the typical actuary. Actually, what actuaries do is they calculate the premiums you have to pay for your life insurance or health insurance, disability or auto insurance, home insurance policy. So I did a little bit of that in a life insurance company, and I had to go through a series of exams to get certified to actually sign the financial statements for a company called New York Life Insurance Company. But I really wasn't enjoying my day. And one exam we had to take was all about investments. And I was doing my own investing. And I was like, wow, this would be really cool if I could align my hobby and my career and actually get paid to do it. It would be, it wouldn't be work, it would be play. And so I finally, uh, I checked out a lot of actuaries on Wall Street. I finally found one that gave me his route that he took to get there. And so I started following his route. And a lot of people, when I talked to them, uh, when I was researching, they, they gave me doubt. They said, Joel, you can't do this. You're, you're an actuary. And why would you want to switch? You actually have the best job in the country. In fact, the actuary was on the cover of Forbes magazine in 1992 is the best job in the country. And I had just gone through all the exams, so why switch? And so I had a lot of doubt. You know, I, I, I knew I wanted to do it, but I had no experience. I had no, he gave me the path, but 
I didn't have an MBA. I didn't have any real experience. So how do I do this? So now I teach my clients, hashtag doubt the doubt. Why do you have faith in your doubt, but have faith in your dreams and desires? So hopefully what I do with my clients, I shorten that period for 15 years to live the life of your dreams. So it did take me 15 years, but I started working at Citigroup in 2008, my first job where I got paid for performance. And it was my dream job as a hedge fund manager. So I was betting some stocks were gonna go up, other stocks were gonna go down, and it really was my dream job. But, and, I, and in 2008, you may remember 2008 was not the best year in the stock market. The market went down 40% that year. Financial stocks, the only stocks I was managing were down 57%. And we made a little bit of money that year. We did better in 2009, but what happened was a couple of years later, there was a law that was passed that said banks can't own hedge funds. So I was working at Citigroup at the time, and so we were all laid off. And the reason why I say that gave me the kick in the butt to start my own firm was because if that hadn't happened, I truly believe to this day, I wouldn't be living this dream of being a prosperity coach. I would still be a hedge fund manager at City and probably not as happy as I am now. And by the way, rule number three in the nine money rules is can happiness buy you money rather than can money buy you happiness? And I truly believe that's a rhetorical question. So I believe you can become financially free when you're ecstatic and happy most of the time. So my dream was to be a portfolio manager, but my true dream was really to have my own hedge fund, manage my own money and other people's money in this fund and be my own boss and not have somebody telling me what to do. At City, I was pretty much had a lot of autonomy, but my manager did come to me every once in a while and say, hey, Joel, why are you invested in this one? And I didn't really wanna have somebody second guessing me because even though I think my self-esteem right now is much higher than it was back in 2008, but my self-esteem wasn't so high that if somebody started questioning, I started doubting myself. Yeah, it creates that doubt. Mm -hmm. So that's, and, and I really wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. Like I could do it for City, but I also wanted to prove to myself that I could manage other people's money and do it well. And so I raised money in 2013 and we actually had a great year in 2013. We were up 10% in just six months. So, and we outperformed each year the hedge fund index while I was managing my own hedge fund. So what, so in terms of like, what gave you the kick in the pants? It, it, was it more so you got laid off, of course, but was it just like wanting that autonomy? Because usually the first step someone gets laid off and it's like, okay, time to go find another job. But what gave you that like kick in the pants to say, you know what, I want to do my own thing. So as I said, back in like when I, Think back to all the way back to 1993, that dream really was to have my own company and be my own hedge fund manager, not work for city or not work for a firm. So that was my true dream. And so I realized when I did get laid off that, oh my God, I thought I was living my dream, but actually I'm not. And to be completely open with you and everyone, listening, 
I did start looking for another job after I was laid off. And, and the main reason was I had a colleague who I was, who was working with me. He was my analyst at City, And I told him if we ever, and when I hired him, I told him if we ever get laid off, don't worry, I'll, we'll get a new job. I'll find a job for you. So after we got laid off, I actually started traveling and he was kind of pissed off at me because I wasn't focused on getting a new job. But I wanted to travel a little bit. One of my biggest passions in life is traveling. So I traveled a bit. And then when I came back, you know, I started helping him find a job, started, you know, trying to find another job as a hedge fund manager where I could be the portfolio manager and he would be the analyst. And it, it was taking me a long time. And then he found a job for himself, which then said to my, I said to myself, wow, like now is the time. Now I don't have to worry about him. Right. He, his, his wife was pregnant with twins. He needed health care and he didn't want to wait for me to raise the money to start my own fund for a year. So he, he got a job himself, which then gave me the incentive to have my own fund. And, you know, so, so the kick in the butt from city was like, it, it made me become more self-aware that wait a second, my true dream was really having my own fund, not managing money at a company. Mm, mm. I just think that's so like topical. Now, especially you have people that are getting laid off. And I'm, me personally, as a bookkeeper, I'm getting a lot of inquiries from people who have started companies maybe three months ago saying, hey, I just want to know, you know, how to make sure my business finances are straight. And these requests are just pouring in. And I'm just like, wow, it's interesting to see that during a time like this, people feel confident enough to take that step to say, you know what, I think I have the skills, I have the know-how, but there's always that little something extra that gives them that kick to really start their own business. So definitely wanted to address that. Yeah, having the dream and, and keeping to the dream. A lot of people come to me also with a vision. I've, had, I've helped two clients who were working at a company and were not happy and I helped them to realize what their true dream job was. And then within each of them within a year was working at their dream job. It was, it, it was mostly working on mindset um, to get them confident enough because they had the skills. It was just getting them to be confident enough to go out into the world and, and look for that job that was, some may say, completely different from what they were doing. But I shifted from being an actuary to being a hedge fund manager without all that experience. So anybody can. Well, okay, that's perfect. Cause then I can go into your next shift from a hedge fund manager to a prosperity coach. So what then inspired you to shut down your hedge fund and become a prosperity coach? So great questions. I had a epiphany at a personal development course that really changed my life. And what happened was at this course, they had a guest speaker speaking about stocks and stock options. And when he started speaking about options in particular, he made it sound like it was a get rich quick scheme. You don't need much time. You don't need much money. This is how the rich people get rich. And options are essentially riskless. So there were 200 people in the room. It was day two of the conference. And they were tapping me on the shoulder, whispering in my ear, Joel, does this make sense? So after he was done, we went outside, we left the auditorium, and I said, please don't do this. He has no idea about your earnings or cash flow or, or 
tax status or risk tolerance. And most importantly, is no idea about your belief that you can make money in stock options, which is actually now rule number one in the nine money rules millionaires use when you believe. So that happened. Then the second thing that happened at that course was we were given a wooden board two inches thick and we were told we we're going to break it with our bare hand. I don't know if you've ever done this, but uh, I haven't done it. A, I've heard of it. <laughs> a lot of fear. There was a lot of fear in that room. Um, the guy on stage for 45 minutes teaching us how to break the board, how to, how to stand, how to shift your momentum. And the exercise was called obstacles or illusions. And on one side, we had to write our biggest obstacle of that on, on one side of the board. And on the other side, we had to write an ultimate goal. And on once on the side that I wrote my biggest obstacle was raising enough money for my hedge fund for it to be a long-term viable entity. And on the ultimate goal side, I wrote making everybody in this room financially free. And I broke the board like everyone did in that room that day, went home that night and I couldn't sleep. It was three, three thirty-four, And I kept on thinking about, well, the wooden board was staring back at me, actually half the wooden board, making everybody in this room financially free. And I kept on mulling that over my head. And then it hit me if I could ever get up the courage to speak in front of 200 people, because my biggest fear in life at the time was public speaking, I could do a better job. This guy was misleading people. At the very least, some may say lying to them. And I could be authentic and actually teach them the truth. And so finally, it hit me like 4.35 in the morning. I got up early. I went into Midtown Manhattan, my office on 54th and 6th. And I sent an email to my investors telling them, I'm shutting down my fund. I'm giving them their money back because I found my true purpose on earth. And wow. so my lawyer wasn't too happy, but it, I can imagine. <laughs> it, it, it took some time, but we, it, that, we spent 2016 uh, shutting down legal entities and, uh, and then uh, building this up as well by the end of 2016. So uh, I became a prosperity coach, uh, teaching people about their money mindset, teaching people about investing. And to be clear, I'm not a financial planner or a financial advisor. I don't sell insurance or annuities or mutual funds or stocks or bonds. All I do is teach. So, yeah, I'm actually like curious about that since you're not a financial um, advisor. Like, how do you go about growing your practice? I definitely love, I think, how your practice is rooted in mindset. So how do you grow your practice and get your clients on board? Well, this is one way by getting my name out there and telling people, I give everybody 30 minutes free prosperity coaching. Anybody who's listening wants it, just go on to my website, S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com, sign up. Um, so I do coaching programs, but it's been word of mouth. You know, I, some people have come to me, they read my, one of my books, read Mindful Money Management. Uh, it's networking. We met networking. So it's, it's, just get, you know, it's really been word of mouth and getting out there. Um, somebody read my book, somebody uh, signs up for 30 minutes of free coaching. Uh, somebody listens or watches uh, a podcast. So it's, it's just been really those kinds of ways uh, to grow the business. And it's, it's really, it's been amazing for me personally to see the, when I, the light bulb go off. And, and people actually see that 
the mindset is so critical and then they start shifting and then moving towards financial freedom because my goal truly is to help at least 100,000 people become financially free. And I'm doing it through individual coaching, but I also do group coaching. And the group coaching I started last, just last year, and it's been so, just really puts a smile on my face because these people are manifesting significant amounts of money just by shifting the mindset, giving them affirmations and audio files, which by the way, I have free audio files on my website under the the manifesting programs uh, pull down. You go there and you can download these audio files. You know, they're a minute or two, but there's about 10 of them, whichever resonates with you take. So affirmations, audio files, and, and people are just shifting and, and money's just flowing. So I have specific exercises I give people in the group coaching classes and my individual uh, coaching that, that, that work. And so it's great to see like significant amounts of money. I think my first group manifested over $100,000. And then the next group manifested over 150000 This one, we're about three, three, well, no, six weeks in now, and they've manifested over $70,000. So it's really cool to see like money flowing to them, people finding new clients or just found money or a tax refund or money just flowing from un- unexpected places, which is just so awesome. Wow, yeah, that definitely sounds awesome when it flows from somewhere unexpected. Cannot argue with that. Um, So perfect timing, bringing me to manifesting. Um, So one of the quotes, another quote that I got from your website is, while it's true that manifesting requires belief and action, it's also true that your thoughts create the foundation for the magic associated with manifesting a prosperous life. So explain what you mean by that. So one of my favorite books is, besides mine, is (laughs) Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And actually the first three words of that book are indeed thoughts are things. And Napoleon Hill wrote this book because he was commissioned by Andrew Carnegie, the richest man in the world in 1929. And he was over, had over $400 million at the time. I think that's equivalent to like $40 billion today. And so he, he was commissioned by Andrew Carnegie to analyze the most successful people around the globe. Andrew gave him access to them, Henry Ford and Thomas Edison and others, and to figure out what the characteristics were of these people. So one of the things he found is that their thoughts were really powerful and they had these big dreams and he, and he goes through discussing how thoughts become things. And that really, that book and a book called the secret and a book that Mike Dooley wrote uh, 20 years ago called infinite possibilities. And I'm actually certified to teach Mike's uh, infinite possibilities concepts as a certified infinite possibilities uh, trainer and trailblazer. So these all come together to, because they're really critical. If you have the right thoughts in place, then you can create almost anything. And so that kind of mindset is what is behind manifesting. 
And so as I learned some of these techniques and I, I realized that mindset was so important for me and shifting what I wanted in my life, that I think it's really important to have that strong grounding and mindset and how to manifest, how to have thoughts become things. And in, in fact, so, so Mike Dooley was in The Secret, the, the book and the DVD saying, thoughts become things. So that's, that's what manifesting is. And it gets a bad rap and, you know, oh, it's magic, but it's not. Because, you know, you think about everything is energy at the end of the day. Money is energy, right? If you look, if you look under a microscope, everything is, is moving. Right? There's a frequency to every material thing. So thought is just a thing as well. It's just energy. Mm. I guess I come at it from um, the meditation sense. Like I'm, I'm definitely in the practice, practice now of writing what I'm grateful for and making sure like every day I have to write down three things that have happened that I'm grateful for or three things that I'm looking forward to, even if they're like the simplest things to the greatest things just to make sure my mindset is in that habit of looking for like the good that's out there. So yeah, it's like manifesting is like a portion of that, but manifesting for that particular thing, like money, I'm wondering like with your clients, like besides manifesting and focusing on like the positive thoughts in terms of like focusing on money and to say like in your groups, like they're manifesting $100,000, how do, how do you get them to that point to say, I want to manifest this amount and then create the action behind it to go get it? Yeah, there are specific exercises we go through. You know, there, there's the check game that we play. So you can put a number mm -hmm. on a check. I actually did this uh, after I manifested cotton balls. Uh, believe it or not, <laughs> I put a check up on my ceiling. And if, yeah, you remember that from my book, right? So <laughs> So I, I talked about that in both of my books. And after that, I actually put a check up on the ceiling above my bed and for multiples of what I'd ever made in my life. And I said, I don't know how, I don't know why, but I do know it's coming. So it was, I had this belief. I was a 10. I, you know, if you, if, if you go on a scale from one to 10, where one is massive doubt and 10 is absolute be belief or faith, I was a 10. And expectation is when your desire is a 10 and your belief is a 10, then you're expecting it, right? So for me, I, when I put the check up on, and I didn't care, like the other thing I teach is don't put a deadline on things. So don't put a date on it. Like oh. I put it, it was more than 10 times what I'd ever made in my life. So, you know, like I'd be ecstatic if it happened in six months or six years. And it came 18 months later when my boss at Citigroup slid a piece of paper to me in a conference room and said, Joel, you had a good year last year. And my bonus was for within $1,000 of the check I had up on the ceiling for the last 18 months. So it does work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's but, I mean, definitely the idea that just seeing it kind of maybe gives you that kick in the butt to go out and actually get what you're manifesting and if you're not seeing that maybe you're not envisioning that and you're not working right. to get that yeah so that and and belief is so critical because i so what i teach my clients is like don't put a number there where your belief is a one mm. that's not helpful i mean you could 
but it might take a really long time because you got to get your belief up first. So start with something. And, and what happens is when you start manifesting things, your belief gets higher. So I had a client, we did 30 minutes free. She, she didn't even sign up for a coaching program for three or six months. She did the 30 minutes free and manifested over almost $7,000 just three weeks later. <laughs> and so I said to her, well, then why don't you go to 70,000? And she said, no, I can't. And I said, why? She said, because I don't believe it. I said, awesome. So why don't you go to, can you believe 10 or 12 or 14? She said, yes. I said, okay, pick that number, like 14, that you know is going to happen and start there. But don't go from 70 to se- 7 to 70 if your belief level goes to a 1 because it's not going to happen. And no one talks about that when they talk about manifesting or living your dream life. Oh, dream big, which I'm not saying don't dream big, but if you're dreaming for that uh, private jet and your belief level is a one, sorry, it's not coming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I think with manifesting, a lot of people like to kind of dream on manifest things that they've maybe seen on TV that, you know, it's not something that's necessarily in their head that they have the belief system for, but it's like, oh yeah, this person has this, let me manifest that because it's just something that they've seen that might look luxurious, but they're not really thinking about that in terms of themselves and what they actually want out of life. So that's one of the things I found that really makes it kind of unattainable. And then of course it gets a bad rap as a result. Yeah, absolutely. So desire and belief. And I did want to go back to Uh, gratitude because being grateful is rule number five in the nine money rules millionaires Mm -hmm. use. And I talked about in my book and I actually have a gratitude journal. I started back in 2012, writing down five things I'm grateful for every morning. And then at night, like you write down five things and it, it, believe it or not, before 2012, I would, before I go to sleep, think about all the things I did wrong or could have done better that day, Mm -hmm. you know, being critical and it wasn't helpful. Mm-hmm. But starting in 2012, I started thinking about, you know, the good stuff, what I can be grateful for that happened that day and focusing on the positive. And it was a psychologist, um, Dr. Seligman. He actually did a study. He put um, electrodes on the brain of people who did the gratitude journal, not only writing down three things they're grateful for, but why they're grateful for mm. them. And, and at the end of the 30 days, he checked the brain synapses and there were actually expansion. So mm. there was expansion in the brain in the areas around happiness, which again is rule number three. Mm-hmm. So when you're more grateful, you're more happy, which creates financial freedom. I mean, I can say I use a little bit of an aid. So I have uh, something that prompts me with different questions. So a lot of times I definitely at night kind of get that negative thought like, oh, you know, I was supposed to do this today and I didn't do it. So I'll go through those prompts and see, okay, so I don't want to be on the negative. So what simple things am I grateful for today or what things am I looking forward to tomorrow just to kind of get myself out of that mindset? Like, okay, maybe this didn't happen today, but there are still some things that happened today that you can be grateful for. And even some things like I use like a meal planning app and I can say, hey, I made a nice gourmet meal for dinner today and I didn't have to go eat at a restaurant. 
And it could be just the smallest things. And then when you think about it, maybe in a couple of days, you're like, yeah, you know, I actually really did do that. And that was a lot of fun and it tasted really good. And it really just so simple things can actually change your mindset. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be big, substantial things, although I do write, I'm grateful for Lauren and Morgan uh, <laughs> every morning and every night. But it can be just like, you know, the sun, some came out today and I was able to jog, uh, go out for a nice jog. Or it could be at the end of the day, I'm grateful that this day is over. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I can say, yeah, that we had the hurricane on Tuesday and I'm like, yes, I'm so glad the hurricane came and went, or excuse me, the tropical storm and I didn't lose power and my trees are still up. So that exactly. was definitely a major gratitude for me. <laughs> me too. I didn't lose power either. So I'm very grateful that a lot of people, I think 1.7 million people lost power in the New York metropolitan area. So yeah, yeah, I know. And uh, Yonkers and I know Westchester has been pretty uh, crazy getting the power restored, but hopefully I think today they're on it a bit more than yesterday. Um, so that actually that brings us into, into the next topic, which is your book, The Nine Money Rules Millionaires Use. You um, already explained a few of the rules and I just have to say, like I looked up the book about two weeks ago and I'm expecting it to be very much like, oh, you know, sign up for an account with Fidelity and, you know, create like a stock picker screen and, you know, go to this step and this step. And then I read it and I'm like, wow, this is not what I expected at all. It's really about, I think, gaining that self-confidence to get you to that point where you feel confident enough to do that. So please talk about the nine rules money millionaires use and yeah. Yeah, so the first six rules are very much what I would call spiritual rules, whereas the last three rules may be more process oriented. So we, we went through a little, mentioned rule number one, which is when you believe. And one really great technique I have for, for listeners is to write down your level of belief from one to 10 in each investment you currently own or you're thinking about investing in. And you can do this with anything. You know, we talked about, you know, dream building and what, you know, what's your belief in your dream, but write down your level of belief from one to 10. And if you're not a seven, eight, nine or 10, I wouldn't go there because what's going to happen more likely than not is you're going to be selling when you should be buying and buying when you should be selling. Mm. So your level of belief is really critical. I go into a lot of detail on this. I have a lot of stories about it, but in my life, I found that if I'm not believing, you know, I'm making poor decisions. And rule number two is trust your intuition. And I will tell you as a former hedge fund manager, if I didn't trust my intuition, I either made less money or lost money. Mm. And it's strange for somebody who's an actuary and analyst to talk about that, but it's really, I say intuition is just a buildup of learning and experience over at least this lifetime. And some may say prior lifetimes as well, if you believe in that. Mm -hmm. So it really is powerful. And I found it steered me really well many, many times. And, and so decision-making based on intuition, if you ask the most successful people in the world, I think they'll also tell you they'll, they make a lot of their decisions based on their gut feel or intuition. Mm -hmm. and, and we, I have a number of stories on that, but I, I one particular one was, when I was working at Citigroup in 2008 and we, we shorted AIG, American International Group, we were betting it was gonna go down. 
And a couple months later, it had gone down. We made a little bit of money. And my analyst came to me and said, Joel, it looks like it's going back up. So I did the work and I analyzed it and I agreed with them. It's going back up. So we got out. But my intuition was screaming at me, it's going lower. Mm-hmm. And two days later, it's down 10%, which is like, like 300% in, in a month. So it's like 36 times your money in a year. Mm-hmm. But my intuition was screaming at me, it's going lower. So we got back in. And then just four months later, it's down 60%. So mm-hmm. we made 60% on our money by trusting my intuition. Wow. So it's powerful. So we, were, we talked about rule number three, which is be happy. Can happiness buy you money? Absolutely. If you're really ecstatic 24-7, it's actually the same vibration, happiness, as gratitude and appreciation mm-hmm. and abundance and prosperity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a really powerful one. Uh, rule number four is visualization. Mm-hmm. And visualizing your dreams is really important. And I, I have a six step process that I give to my clients to actually create visualizations. And I, I recommend spending five minutes closing your eyes. And, you know, it's funny because people will spend five minutes a day brushing their teeth, but they won't spend five minutes on their dreams, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, on their future life. And just if you spend five minutes thinking on purpose, I call it, I call it uh, daydreaming on purpose. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're daydreaming on purpose, thinking about dreams for five minutes a day, it's a really powerful tool. Something and I've does, done too is um, creating a vision board yes. and making sure to actually look at it on a daily basis to say, okay, this is what I want. This is what I'm working towards and kind of having that in focus, something that I can actually look at. Obviously similar to what you did with the check, but making sure that I kind of have multiple things up there to kind of keep me on track and things that I can think about. Um, I know I've heard like the phrase um, creating a mantra. So I actually have like a little mantra on my vision board as well, that that can kind of come into my head if I'm having like a bad day or thinking, Oh, I don't feel like doing this right now to kind of have that come into my head so I can work from there and keep on that goal. Yeah. I have two vision boards, one just solely about travel (laughs) and uh, that works too. So I, I had pictures of Bangkok uh, so I created this vision board in 2017. I had pictures of Bangkok, three pictures, one of the Golden Palace, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really amazing place. And so last year I, I took on a project, a long-term project with a company in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And I started working with some of the people on the project in the Philippines, in Manila. And the guy who was managing the project said to me, Joel, you've been working with these people. I think I'd like you to meet them. Mm. So I was like, okay. So I'm jogging the next morning. And then I was like, oh my God, how far is Manila from Bangkok? And I got home and I checked it. It was a two and a half hour flight. And so almost exactly a year ago today, I was in Bangkok. I happened to pick a hotel. I'm not sure why, but I, I don't believe in coincidences. I only believe in synchronicities. So I go to the rooftop. I wanted to find a hotel that had a rooftop bar and a pool. 
So there were only a few. I happened to pick one. Um, and I'm up on the roof taking pictures of the view, and I got chills. As I'm taking a picture of the Golden Palace, I realized it was the exact same view that was on my vision board for the last two years. The picture wow. of the Golden Palace. Front, and the, the guy who had taken that photograph must have been on the same rooftop at that hotel. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. Not only just like the trip to Bangkok, but literally the view that you had been looking at from your vision yeah. board. <laughs> So vision boards work. It's really powerful. It's, it's, it, I, I interchange vision boards and visualization. Mm -hmm. But uh, so we talked about uh, rule number five, which is gratitude. Giving is rule number six. And I will tell you, giving may be the most powerful of the nine money rules. And, and people say to me, Joel, but if I give my money away, I have less money. How does that work? Well, what I, we talked about money being energy earlier. Money is just energy. And by putting that money out into the world, it must flow back to you. And generally what happens, I found, is it flows back to your multiples. So, and well, the other thing that's happening is when you give to a charity or something you're passionate about is you're changing your mindset. You know, you're, you're telling yourself, I got plenty to spare and share. And then you do. And then the other thing I talk about is giving doesn't have to be just about money, right? You can give your time. You know, you may have a special gift. Why not share that with the world? You could give a smile to a stranger. You could give a compliment to a stranger. You know, you could even give 30 minutes free of prosperity coaching to the world. See, it does change, you know, giving does change the world. And, and I found that it's, it's a really, really powerful tool that people don't use and you know, you can do it every day. So now to the process steps. So we've gotten into like, I guess the belief system. So the process steps, what are those? Yeah. So great. So yeah, the last three are all process oriented and I know budgeting is like a four letter word to most, most people, but I will tell you more than 80% of millionaires budget. I'm sure this is true to your heart as well. Right. Uh, oh, certainly. So, so it, it really does work and having a plan and knowing where your money going is really important. You know, the name of the chapter, uh, part two, chapter one is where is my cash going? Like it, it's important to know. It really is because if you don't know, you don't have no place to start from, right? And you have nowhere to say, okay, I need to cut back on, on this or this uh, expense. So budgeting is really important. Uh, I actually have two chapters on budgeting uh, related to money and budgeting and credit. So, you know, knowing your credit, knowing your credit score as both a business and an individual is critical uh, because it impacts how you can borrow, you know, and what rate you can borrow at. And then the last two rules are uh, pretty controversial, I think. Uh, the rule number eight is DIY investing. And I, I'm most people come to me and say, Joel, I don't have the time. You know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good in math. And these are just limiting beliefs. You know, it, it, it's not that you need to work eight hours a day on your investing. I know plenty of amazing investors who work. I wouldn't say work. They're passionate about it. They enjoy it at least, you know, one or two hours a day. 
So DIY investing is, I teach that. I have my five-step proprietary stock screen. I have a seven-step real estate screen, a chapter on real estate. But it's wherever your passion lies, because if you're not interested and excited about it, then it doesn't work. And that's why rule number eight is don't diversify. And people look at me, I've been at networking events, I've been on other podcasts and people, Joel, are you serious? Come on, everyone knows it's a common knowledge. But I will tell you, it's a limiting belief that won't serve you. It's serving financial institutions very well because they'll sell you their mutual funds, they'll sell you the ETFs, the exchange traded funds and make their one or two or 3% on them. But I know the richest people in the world, like Jeff Bezos, of Amazon is not diversified. He has all of his net worth in one company, Amazon, right? So, you know, the richest people in the world don't diversify. They have all their money in their business or, you know, they've invested in and just a few specific investments. I will tell you as a hedge fund manager, both at City and my own hedge fund, that I made 120% of my return from my top five investments. The other 50 or 60 investments lost me 20%. It's really hard to find 100, 120, 200, 1,000 great ideas. So the top five, usually the 80-20 the rule, the Pareto principle works in investing like anywhere else. So you make most of your money from the top 20% or the top five stocks, three to five. And so I recommend don't diversify. In fact, Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's right-hand man, who's worth over a billion dollars, said, if you know nothing, diversify. If you know nothing, diversify. Warren Buffett even said if he had his druthers, he would put more than 50% into of his net worth in one stock. Yeah, I think that's definitely a pretty scary concept for, for people to get into. But I think, yeah, definitely if you go into the belief systems of it and you're confident in it like with Jeff the Jeff Bezos example he had to have extreme confidence that his company was going to grow the way that it did to put all of his investments um, into that and I mean obviously without a doubt it's paid off I'm sure a thousandfold. Yeah so it, it's diversification is based on fear and I talk about that in my book as well and even uh, Harry Markowitz who's the father of the modern portfolio theory said, if you want to maximize your return, don't diversify. It's a quote from, from the white paper on modern portfolio theory, which says to have a large number of investments. But that doesn't maximize your return. It maximizes a different type of measure, but not your return. Wow. So that's definitely some unexpected advice all the way around from the belief systems to the final process steps, which I definitely hope are helpful to everyone listening. So I definitely want to thank Joel for being on today. I want to give Joel a chance to um, close out any closing remarks or any other uh, information you want to give us. Sure. So I did want to give one lucky winner a free nine money rules millionaires use. So email me and I'll, I'll give one lucky winner. So it's Joel at S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com. Also, I'm going to give, talking about giving, I want to give something away for everybody who's, who's listening. 
uh, I did, I wrote a white paper called the five mistakes new millionaires make five mistakes, new millionaires, new millionaires make. So anyone listening, just text to the number six, six, eight, six, six, that's six, six, eight, six, six, nine money rules. The number nine money rules, all one word, the title of the first four, three words of my book, nine money rules, number nine, M-O-N-E-Y-R-U-L-E-S, and you'll get my free white paper. So, and all, I, there's a ton of free stuff on my website. Again, the website's S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com. There's the audio files, there's free affirmations, there's some pretty inspiring quotes. I actually have my travel vision board up there if you want to look at some places I've been to or want to be to, want to go to. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of free stuff on there. There's, you know, you can sign up for the free 30 minutes coaching. Um, yeah, so, uh, and, to, and, and every, all the, all the um, my YouTube videos are on there too. So I think I have 250 now YouTube videos if you want to troll through those. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of great information. All right, so everyone, please check out salamore.com. I'm going to ask Joel to give one more thing, which is a closing quote that he'd like everyone to keep with him. The biggest idea I have right now for everybody is don't work hard and become financially free. So again, it's a limiting belief that you have to work hard, be rich and successful. So this is what I teach. Don't work hard and become financially free. So working hard means, you know, 12, 14 hours a day and really grinding it out. But I will tell you when you are having fun, enjoying what you're doing, it's not work and it doesn't need to be 12 to 14 hours a day. So you heard it directly from Joel. Don't work hard. If you want to get in touch with Joel or hear some more unconventional advice, check him out at salamore.com. That is S as in Sam, A-L-A-U-R, M as in Mary, O-R dot com. Also, Joel will be giving one lucky listener of the Pro Project podcast a free copy of the nine money rules. So please email Joel at joel at salamore.com and let him know that you heard him on the Pro Project Podcast. And I'd like to thank him again for being a guest on today's episode. I've always believed that having a good mindset and understanding of your personal finances lays the foundation for your business finances. So I'm thrilled to have him on to discuss the more personal side of that. And if anyone needs that personal finance coaching, please get in touch with him at salemore.com. Also, you can text nine money rules to the number 66866 to receive a copy of Joel's white paper, Five Mistakes New Millionaires Make. The number again is 66866. Text nine money rules. That's the number nine money rules, all one word, to get a copy of Joel's free white paper. And of course, if you have any questions around your business finances, please reach out to me at info at proprojectbooks.com. Once again, that's info at proprojectbooks.com. This is Darrell Brown signing off. In the words of my guest, Joel, hashtag doubt the doubt.